We're going to have a good time this morning. I want to share a message with you entitled, Our Hope is Alive. Here on Resurrection Sunday, our hope is alive. Your hope this morning, it is alive. It is not dead. It is not dormant. It is not locked away. It hasn't disappeared. You, personally, I want you to just look at the person next to you right now. Just go, you, you, your hope is alive. Come on, say it with some meaning this morning. Your hope is alive. Turn to your second choice. Person on the other side, just be like, yours too, yours too. Our hope is alive this morning. On Friday, we had a great service here, Good Friday, celebrating what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, uh, and, and at that time, we started out in Luke chapter number 23. I'm going to go back there today, if so long you want to open up your Bibles. And uh, I just carried on reading the story. When you find a story so incredibly gripping and, and uh, that just gr- grabs a hold of your attention, uh, like the Holy Spirit did with us on Friday, you just want to go back there and you want to just see the fullness of what God has for us. And let me tell you this, there was a Friday, there was a crucifixion, but that wasn't the end of the story. That isn't where it ended. We got to Sunday. They said, it's Friday now, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday now, but Sunday is coming. And in your life, Friday has come, but now Sunday is on its way. And, uh, and it's here, and we're celebrating it today. So I, uh, I, I'm looking forward just to being able to encourage you this morning in the resurrection of Jesus, in the life that we have in Jesus. On Friday in Luke 23, we looked at how the people that were around the cross were mocking Jesus, just jeering, railing at him, uh, giving him a hard time. The Bible literally says they were spitting on him. They were cursing him as he hung on the cross. They took his clothes and they were gambling for who would take his clothes home. Just utter humiliation around the cross, just mocking Jesus. And they continued shouting out at him, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. And, 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 and mocking him in this position uh, of brokenness and in, in the midst of the crucifixion. And We see that as Jesus died, we looked at this on Friday. If you haven't heard the message, uh, there's a message called It Was All For You. And it's on our SoundCloud account as well as our website, anchorjoburg.org. You can go and and listen to that if you haven't heard it already. But, But in that moment as Jesus died, the Bible says that the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That was the presence of God, and nobody could access that presence. Nobody could go into God's presence as sinful people that we are. We couldn't have a relationship with God. But as that curtain was torn from top to bottom, the presence of God spilled out over Jerusalem. And in that moment, as Jesus died, something happened to the people standing around the cross. In that instant, the guy who had just pierced him with a sword that had overseen the whole crucifixion, all of a sudden dropped to his knees, looking at Jesus, saying, Surely this man was innocent. Surely this man was innocent. And the Bible says something that just gripped my heart as I read it. It said that all of the people standing there that had been a part of the spectacle, they walked away beating their chests, which is this ancient uh, uh, action of sorrow that they realized. They realized something in a moment. And what they realized is that when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for them. That they were the ones who was guilty and he was the one who was innocent. And God's presence just touched their lives in that moment. So we're going to pick up the story here in, in verse 50. We ended off uh, last Sunday with the people going home, beating their chests, re- recognizing 
wow, that was, I'm the one who's guilty. I'm the one. What we did, they, they felt sorrow over the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus had died on that cross. We pick up the story here in Luke 23, verse 50. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to read these six verses in the book of Luke. It says, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. A good and righteous man who had not consented to the council's decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man, Joseph of Arimathea, he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, who was the Roman governor who, who uh, actioned the crucifixion of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen, a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. We're going to look at something that happens in this verse and, and something that hopefully will encourage you in your faith and an understanding of the resurrection this morning. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray together just in this moment. Jesus, we come to you right now. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that as we speak to you this morning and as we uh, hear your word this morning, we're not sitting here, Jesus, being uh, on our own. We're not sitting here like orphans. We're sitting here in your presence, Lord. You know us. You have seen our hurts. You have seen our, our faults. You have seen our flaws, and, and you're here with us in spite of all of that. You're here, God, because you are alive, because on that day you were raised, and right now by your Spirit, you are speaking, you are changing, you are transforming, you are delivering, and you are setting us free. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. So like with all young boys growing up, when I was younger, I absolutely loved playing with toy weapons. Come on, how many of you guys, when you were younger, you needed a weapon as a boy? You needed to be in battle. You needed to be charging into some battle somewhere. And, and I was exactly like that. Growing up, I always wanted a weapon with me. I wanted uh, specifically swords. I loved swords and shields. Uh, the idea of charging into battle one-on-one, -on -one, uh, fighting with a sword and a shield. And if I think about it now, it actually was great preparation for church planting, right? Great. Just, you, I'm so glad I did that when I was younger because now I feel more ready as a church planter. Um, but, but, as, but young boys, if you, have, if you have boys, you'll know that they love to play with swords and they love to play with shields. And, and uh, one specific time, my mom came home and she had bought me a gift. And on this day, uh, she, she gave me a toy sword that was unlike any other toy sword I had ever seen. This was the greatest sword I think any toy maker had ever created. And I took the sword and I was just absolutely 
overwhelmed by how amazing it was. I mean, I was, I was quite young at the time, maybe only four or five years old, but to me, the sword was, it wasn't one of those like plastic hollow things or those styrofoam ones, or this, this was an incredibly well-crafted toy that had this, this hilt that had the kind of protection for your hand with little jewels encrusted into it. And it, and it wasn't like one of those safety swords. No, this, this had a long white uh, blade to it with a, a little just rubber piece at the end just to make sure you don't actually kill anybody with it. And, uh, and I had this sword and I absolutely loved it. This kind of a Spanish uh, rapier type sword. And, and I kept it with me wherever I went. I mean, I literally remember putting it into, uh, into my belt and walking around with it. Just I wanted the sword, and I just imagined myself being in battle with this, this sword. And, and, uh, and I would get home after school, and I would take it out of the cupboard, and I would run around in the garden fighting things. And on one particular occasion, I ran into the, into the courtyard, and I started fighting with the washing line, you know, the enemy. And, uh, and I was fighting with a washing line and, you know, the old washing lines that was kind of con- that had, it was, uh, uh, just uh, concreted into the ground and, 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 and I was fighting with a pole and I just, I was so good at fighting with a pole that I, I was a little bit overly, over eager and ended up breaking the sword on the washing, on the pole of the washing line. And I was just devastated in that moment. My sword, it's, it's, it's broken. And I remember looking at it and just like my heart sank. And I picked it up and I, I can't remember if I cried, but I was just absolutely so sad. And I walked to my room and I, I thought I was going to be in trouble. Like if my mom found out, I was going to be in trouble. So I took my broken sword and, and I just hid it in the cupboard, just closed the cupboard. And, and I didn't tell anybody about it. And every now and again, I'd go back and look. and I'd be like, yeah, it's still broken. It is still broken. And, and, uh, and for some reason, I thought to myself, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll find another one. Maybe I'll find another sword just like this sword because surely it was the most perfect sword ever made. And every single time I went into a shop with my, my parents, I would run to the toy section and I would go through all of the toys to see what swords they had, hoping that on one specific occasion I would be able to find a sword just like the one I had. And still to this day, for some reason, when I'm walking past a toy shop, uh, shop in the mall or I'm in a toy section of a shop, I'll, I'll go and I'll just check. I just wonder if they have. A, I mean, I found myself the other day. I was out in Broadacres and uh, I found a toy store in there and I wanted to buy something for my boys. So I walked in there, went straight to the sword section. I didn't even mess around with cars or Lego. and straight to the sword section. And I was like, I wonder, because if they have a sword like that, I'll buy four. My three boys won for me. I'm not sure what I'll do with it. Maybe I'll fight with them. But it's like I'm still looking for that sword. Something in me just is looking for that sword. And so they didn't have at that specific store. So I bought my boys other swords um, on that specific uh, occasion. But there was this longing in me, this hope in me. Still to this day, every time I walk into a store, I, I hope that I'll find a sword like the one that I had. All four of the gospel accounts mention this guy called Joseph of Arimathea. They all four speak about him, and they tell us, if you read all four of them, a few things about this guy called Joseph. First of all, it tells us that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish council that oversaw all of the laws and the Sabbaths and, 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 and the, the, the feasts and, and, and everything, that the ceremonies of Israel. 
And he was a member of that council. This is the council that called for Jesus' crucifixion. But we find out something else in the book of John about this Joseph of Arimathea is that he was a secret follower of Jesus. That he was afraid of what the council would say. He was a pretty prominent member. You know when you get together with a group of friends and they all decide to do something, and, but you're not quite un, uh, on board, but you don't want to let them know. So they're like, oh, let's do this. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And you're like, yeah, sounds great, guys. Let's do that. You know? And that was kind of Joseph in the council. He started to feel this conflict because he secretly started following Jesus. We also know that he was a very wealthy man. The tomb that they laid Jesus in was his tomb, and it was right in Jerusalem, which is only a place where the very rich were able to be buried. And he had bought this tomb. It was a tomb. It was literally cut out of the rock. The Bible says, freshly cut, prepared for him. If he if he were to die, this 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 tomb was ready there for him. And 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 it's the same tomb that they laid Jesus in, and which fulfilled all of the prophecies about how Jesus would be buried. All of the prophecies about his his burial were fulfilled because this person, Joseph, God had raised him up for this time. But what I'm most interested in is, is verse 51, which we read right now, which says that, that he was looking for the kingdom of God. That Joseph was a man who was looking for the kingdom of God. In Mark's gospel, it says in John 15, Verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. This word, which from the Greek is translated to looking for or waiting, it's translated in a few different ways, um, which I'll show you in a moment. But, but this word translated waiting or looking is found in several places. Look at uh, Acts 24, it puts it this way, verse 15. It says, I have hope in God which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. This I have hope in God, that expression that I'm, I'm waiting, I'm looking, I have hope. It's all the same Greek word, which means this, this, this hopeful expectation. He's hopefully expecting God's kingdom to arrive. It's like, it's like me running into the toy shop with a hopeful expectation that maybe today I will find the thing that I'm looking for. Joseph is he, he's testing every philosophy, every leader, every teacher, every scripture, and, and he is looking for truth in the midst of that. And, and, and that's life as humanity. We're, we're looking for this hope. We're looking for truth. We're looking for the thing that will break through. And, and we can stand up and say, I finally found it. I finally found the truth. I finally found the fulfillment that I've been looking for. We see the same word again in Hebrews 10. Where in Hebrews 10 it talks about to take, to receive. And the full meaning of the word there is to fully and completely take something without reservation or hesitation. Like if I had to find that sword, I wouldn't hesitate in buying it. I don't care how much it costs. It's been 28 years. I'm buying it, right? I'm taking it. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man who is walking in a field, Jesus telling the story. And in this field, he finds a treasure. A treasure greater than any treasure he's ever known. 
And so what he does is he buries the treasure in that field and goes home and sells everything that he has, literally everything that he has, in order to purchase that field. Because he recognizes the worth of, the, of what he has found. And so when it says that Joseph of Arimathea was waiting for the kingdom of God, it's not he's just idly sitting by, uh, just waiting for God to do something. It, it's, it's, it speaks about a heart that says, I, once I find the truth, once I find the treasure of the gospel, I would literally be willing to let go of everything else because of the greatness of what I have found. And he's got this heart to fully embrace what God has done. And then this man, Joseph of Arimathea, even though he's a prominent member of the council, he hears about a guy called Jesus who's one by one starting to fulfill the prophecies about him. People that are destitute. And that was, the, that was actually the thing that bugged the Pharisees the most. But it's also the thing that turned the hearts towards Jesus. Do you know what it was? They heard about this Jesus who eats with prostitutes and tax collectors and brings healing to the the lowest forms of society and the lowest uh, uh, parts of society. He spends time amongst amongst the elderly and amongst children and amongst the broken and amongst sinners, amongst gangsters. He hangs out at their homes and he just talks to them and he brings healing and he brings a change in their lives. Miracles are happening in the lives of broken people and Joseph of Arimathea is going, could this be it? Have I found the sword? I mean, I love the fact that Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I'm like, that's the one I've been looking for, right? That's the one. Have I found it? Is this it? Is this the, one, the thing that I have lacked in my life that I have been looking for? And so when Jesus dies on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea becomes a secret follower of Jesus. I think we have a couple of those uh, in Christianity. We have some secret followers. People that like the idea of Jesus, like the teachings of Jesus, and they think maybe, maybe this is it. And just like the people that stood around the cross, there comes a moment A moment when you recognize, number one, your own sinfulness and how God, by His grace, poured out the blood of His own Son to forgive you of that sinfulness. There's just a recognition, like, I am a sinner, man. I am a broken sinner, but Jesus died for me. In that moment, as Joseph of Arimathea sees what Jesus did for him on the cross, sees the people walking away from the cross, beating their own chest, there is this I don't care anymore thing that comes of him. Have you ever had an I don't care anymore moment? Like when you're, you're all prim and proper and you always go about your day, but then sometimes there's something that you're just so passionate about that you have a full-on, I don't care anymore, anymore uh, moment. I don't, I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what they think. I don't care what trouble I'm going to get into. I have to lay a hold of this thing that I have been waiting for. I have to lay a hold of it. And as Jesus dies on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea has an I don't care anymore moment. And he goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus. But the word there, ask, means to insist. 
to demand. Like, I need his body now. There's an urgency that comes over Joseph of Arimathea as it was, the Bible says, the day of preparation. The Sabbath, Jesus, it was close to six o'clock in the evening by this time. And miraculously, Jesus has already died. Normally, they would hang for hours, sometimes days before they had died. But Jesus at this point is already dead. And the Bible says that when, when Joseph went to, to Pilate to ask for the body, Pilate was amazed that he was already dead. But it was all in line with how God was orchestrating the perfect fulfillment of the Passover. Because the Bible says it was the day of preparation. And the day of preparation for the Jews is the day before the Passover where you, where you do all of your work. You make sure that you, it's kind of like going on holiday when you, you don't want to work on holiday. So you work extra hard the day before to make sure that all of your emails are done and, and you've done everything that you need to do and you've made your food. And, and, and that's what they would do. They would prep the food so that on the Sabbath, starting at six o'clock on the Friday evening, on the Sabbath, they would just rest. So if it had, if, if it had become six o'clock and Jesus was still up on the cross, they wouldn't have been able to lay him in that tomb. They would have had to leave him up there. But the Bible, there was a prophecy where, where David writes in the Psalms and he says, but you will not cause your holy one to see corruption, the corruption of his body. And so God sends Joseph of Arimathea and he just, there's a, I don't care anymore moment. I am fulfilling the call that God has on my life. Some of you may have been hesitating, holding back, feeling fearful, feeling like, am I ready to do what God has called me to do? Am I ready to step into the fullness of God's call on my life? When you recognize the cross and what Jesus has done for you, you'll go full, I don't care anymore. I just want to do what God has called me to do. I'm selling everything else I have. I want to lay a hold of this thing. And so he insists, let me take the body of Jesus down and let me bury it. And that's what he does. He takes the body of Jesus down. The Bible tells us later on, along with Nicodemus, who's the other Pharisee and council member, prominent ruler of, 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 of Israel, who came to Jesus in, under the cover of darkness uh, in John chapter number three and asked him about eternal life. These two men, are the ones that in that moment risk their reputations, risk everything about their lives to be a part of, of this moment. And they, they take Jesus off from the cross, perfectly fulfilling the Passover. And they lay him down just before the Sabbath. I can't tell you how many times in my life, in, I feel like everything is chaos, I feel like nothing is where it's supposed to be. I feel like I could so easily misstep and go off the rails somewhere or, or, or miss out or make a massive mistake. Let me tell you, even planning a church, there are ample opportunities for that. And you know what you realize in hindsight? God was orchestrating it perfectly. That when you, were, when you thought you were perhaps even making a mistake or taking a wrong turn, God was even teaching you through that. He is sovereign. God's plans just work out perfectly. And there's a reason why you're here this morning. 
There's a reason why you're sitting here this morning listening to this message because God has got those good things stored up for you, those good plans prepared beforehand. And here's the thing. God had those plans for you before and after you messed up. He had those plans for you knowing before you even messed up that you would mess up. And he didn't change the plan. God put his calling on your life knowing everything that your life would look like up to this moment. And he still didn't change the call. If you had a dream or something in your heart that God put there, perhaps all your life, and since then you feel like you've lost it, like I broke that sword and hid it away in the cupboard, well, that thing's broken now. I, I can't use it anymore. God has got a perfect plan. He's going to bring restoration. He's going to bring the hope. He has brought the hope of Jesus into our lives. So then Luke 23, 56, the next verse says, On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. They laid Jesus down in the tomb. The woman went and prepared spices, but they could do nothing with those spices until the Sabbath was over. It was now the Sabbath, and they needed to wait until that was over before they could go and uh, and prepare the body of Jesus. I love that it's the Sabbath. In Genesis, it tells us that God worked six days, and after having completed all of the work, He rested. And man was created on the sixth day. So the first day of man's life was a day of rest. God works and then he rests, but we rest in God and only then can we work. The first day of our new lives is, is, is the day of rest. And here Jesus had again completed the work. He had finished everything necessary for your salvation. He had completed everything necessary for your righteousness, everything necessary for your justification, everything to activate the fullness of God's plan in your life. Jesus had done it all. And now it's the Sabbath. And if all that the people there in Israel can do is, is wait and rest. I can imagine the disciples just being in absolute turmoil. Just, just sitting around wondering if they would ever see Jesus again. Everything that they, were, that, that, that they had been looking for, the salvation and the redemption and the, and the restoration... All of it in that moment to them must have seemed lost. Have you ever had God speak into your life about how he has saved you, redeemed you, prepared you for good things, prepared good things for you? And then there comes a moment when it just seems like all of that has been lost. Where you sit around going, I don't know, is this even still real? Is it, is it available to me? This is how the disciples must have felt. Nothing seems to be happening. Sometimes there is a pause between our Good Friday and our Resurrection Sunday. Sometimes there's a pause between death on the cross and resurrection and an open tomb. And on this Saturday... It's like the collective universe just held its breath. 
Like the angels in heaven themselves are silent, waiting to see what's going to happen. The Son of God was crucified. He's dead in a tomb. Has all hope been lost? The disciples are sitting quietly in a room, gazing at one another, not, 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 not sure what to say. Is all hope lost? People were wondering, is that it? Like, I mean, Jesus had so many good things to say, and he was doing so many miraculous things, but is that the end now? Is that the end of Jesus and the end of our hope that we were holding on to? Can we, should we give up now? You might feel like you are stuck right now, somewhere between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. You might feel like you're stuck in the pause, holding your breath. Like, is God going to come through? Is he really going to do what he said he would do in my life? But what I want to tell you today is that that pause, that moment, that day between the promise and the fulfillment is called the Sabbath. It's the day in which we rest in the truth of who God is. If you're holding out for certain things in your life right now, if you're desperate for God to touch your heart, if you're desperate to change your sinful ways and you're struggling and you're wrestling and you're experiencing hardship and you feel like you're in the midst of that pause, God says, it's your Sabbath, rest in me. We are so tempted to try and save ourselves, to try and fix our own lives, to try and make ourselves these good people. But God says, it's the Sabbath, it's your moment to rest in me to trust in what I am doing. You see, like in this, on this occasion, God is at work even when there is no sign that he is. And he is faithful. The Bible says that he is faithful even when we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. He is faithful even when we are faithless. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. Like if God didn't fulfill that promise, then all the other promises, all the other restoration, all the other hope that we might have, it falls away. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then everything that we're, we're proclaiming, we're looking forward to, and, and, and the eternal life that we will have with Christ and have with Christ, and, and all of the restoration, all of the redemption, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it's all a lie. That's why the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. Because Jesus told them that he was going to do it. And then he actually fulfilled what he was going to do. There have been many people claiming to be gods, making all kinds of promises that they could not fulfill. And so Jesus would just be lumped into that category if he wasn't raised from the dead, if, if, resu re if resurrection Sunday had never happened. Verse 15 says, we are then even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he had raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. No forgiveness, 
no redemption. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ, who have died knowing Christ, have perished. If it wasn't for the resurrection. So this is absolutely critical to our faith. It's absolutely critical to our faith because it validated everything that Jesus told us about himself. And if Jesus did that, then it means that everything else he promised to do in your life will also come true. There's this line by J.R.R. Tolkien where he says, will everything sad become untrue? Well, everything sad, is God reversing this thing? Is God turning this thing around? Is everything sad going to become untrue? That's what we have. That's the hope. That's the expectation. I want to tell you that we have the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. We have the full righteousness of God. We have the finished work of Christ on the cross. But this life and what God has for you in this life is not yet complete. There is still so many things that God is going to do in your life. And when we move on and we are with him eternally in heaven, we will only then experience the fullness of our salvation. We're, we're only halfway through the story. God is still going to redeem all things. And bring all things into subjection to him. And, and he's, still going to, he's still going to redeem all the world. And, 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 and we're still going to live eternally with him. So don't lose hope in the pause. Because if Jesus has been raised from the dead, if we have received the Holy Spirit, the Bible calls it, the Bible at one, in one place says you have received the deposit, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that we're going to spend eternity with God? You've already got the deposit. It's in your heart, the Holy Spirit. He's with you. It tells us that God is still going to fulfill every last thing that he has for our lives. So we come to the Sunday. Luke 24, the next chapter, 24 verse 1. And I just want to read these verses. It says, but on the first day of the week, this is now the Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. At early dawn. They, and it's talking about the women that were preparing the spices in, in, in chapter 23. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed, wondering about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. It's not just talking about guys that had some fashion sense, right? It's actually angels, dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Why are you looking for the, the living among the dead? Jesus isn't here. He is alive. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Jesus told them this was going to happen. He had given the promise, but they almost gave up hope in the pause. But now it's Sunday. Now it's Sunday and they go and the angels say, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? 
Sometimes we look for our hope in the midst of things that are essentially dead. Things that offer no hope. Things that don't have the ability to raise us and to change us and to do miraculous things. And God says, stop looking for your hope in the midst of dead things and find it in the living, resurrected Christ. This was the day that our hope became alive. This is the day that we were raised from the dead with Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. And in that moment, every single thing that Jesus had ever promised became true. In that moment, every single thing was validated and confirmed that we truly have a living faith. You see, that's why when we get together as a church, this is not a religious thing that we do. This is not about taking a set of, of steps or, or following some principles or, or, or a ritual or a ceremony because it feels you know, very pious and, and, and like it's healthy to do, similar to yoga or, or I don't know, uh, meditation. We're not here to enlist you in a program. We're here to introduce you to a living person. And they thought that it was just a crazy movement of radical guys who would just die out. In fact, that Sanhedrin got together and they, they spoke about it at one point. They said the, the, the Christians were just, they were just flocking everywhere. They were just, they were just more and more Christians, just more and more who had seen Jesus and heard the testimony of Jesus and, and, and were coming to faith in Jesus. So the Sanhedrin get together and they're like, what are we going to do about this? And they bring, they bring Peter and John and they, they, they literally beat them up and say, now don't speak about Jesus anymore. And in the back, there's one of the, one of the wisest leaders in, in this group. He was actually the, the mentor of Paul. His name was Gamaliel. And Gamaliel stands up and he says, we've got to be careful. He says, remember that guy who, who claimed to be the Messiah? He got about 300 followers, and then it wasn't of God, and the thing died out. Remember this guy who, who stood up and said, oh, I'm, I'm God. I'm the one. I'm the salvation. And, and remember what happened to him? He died, and all of his, his followers, they all scattered. And he goes, but this thing, Jesus died, and now they're saying he was alive again, and it's growing. And he says, we've got to be careful that if we resist this, we might actually find ourselves fighting against God. You see, when God is fighting on our behalf, when God's will is, is happening in our lives, nothing can stop it. Nothing can resist the resurrection. Nothing can resist the resurrection. Nothing is more powerful than this. And that's why when we come here together, we have a living hope. Our hope is alive. Our hope has risen. It's genuine. We have really been forgiven of our sins. We have really been forgiven of our sins. It's not just something nice that we'd like to believe. Jesus is alive. We really are going to spend eternity in heaven with God. It's not just something that we say to comfort ourselves. Jesus is alive. We really are the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. That just, it's not just a nice sounding verse. It's, it's true because Jesus is alive. Our hope is alive. We have hope this morning that we will spend eternity with him. That the restoration that you've dreamed about, the healing that you've been praying for, it's all yours in Jesus. The Bible says if God did not withhold his own son, 
but freely gave him up for us all. How will he now not with him give us all things? Our hope is alive this morning. Amen? Our hope is alive this morning. The resurrection is true. So let's stop looking for the living amongst the dead. Let's stop looking for hope in things that cannot fulfill us. We ourselves were dead in our sins. And God called us to just trust in his grace. My last verse that I want to read to you this morning, Ephesians 2 verse 4. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Don't you love that there's a but God in the Bible? That we were dead in our sins, but God, so rich in mercy. Because of the great love. Why did God do what he did? Because of his great love for you, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. When Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. We were made alive with him. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, this time that's still to come, listen to this. He might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Like you think that you've already experienced his grace. He's still going to show you just how immeasurable that grace actually is. This whole thing, it's only just begun. What God is still going to do in your life, only just begun. What we're going to experience for all of eternity, it's only just begun. How do we know it's going to happen? Jesus is alive. And we've been raised with him. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. This is not anything that you could earn for yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This morning, if you have been raised with Jesus, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you are alive because he is alive. And we have that same expectation in our lives right now. We live our lives by hope. And the Bible says we have a hope that does not disappoint it, it, it's why we chose the scripture that we chose for Anchor Church. It's why we chose the name Anchor Church, because in Hebrews it says that this hope, this hope of how God has redeemed us and put us in the presence of God eternally is an anchor that is secure and firm and steadfast and will not be moved. We have a hope that is reliable. We have a hope that is eternal. We have a hope that will be fulfilled. We have this hopeful expectation. We can be like Joseph of Arimathea and we can go, we found it. We found the hope that we've been looking for and he's alive. And so we live our lives fueled by the hope of the gospel. I wanna tell you that whatever you are going through in your life right now, hold on to the hope. Hold on to that hope because Jesus is alive. The best is yet to come in your life. And God will in time show you the immeasurable riches of his grace.
He will bless you. He will change you. He will deliver you. God is at work so we can rest in him. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection. You're alive today. You're alive in him. Your life is full of hope. People might have looked at you and said, not going to go anywhere. This thing is broken. The situation will never be better. You might have looked at yourself in the mirror going, I've messed it all up. I've messed it all up. All the things I, I thought I, 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 God had called me for in my life, I've messed it up and I've missed it. God looks at you and says, I'm alive. I'm alive to do what I promised I would do. So our hope is now and always will be solely in Jesus and in the goodness of his grace. And wherever you are at in your life right now, know that he is at work within you. Know that he is at work within you. It's the great narrative of redemption. And we get to be a part of it. Isn't God good? Come on, isn't the gospel good? We're filled with hope this morning. Let's, let's pray together and thank Jesus for this.